This podcast contains language and subject matter some may find offensive. Keep out of reach of children and the elderly. This is Canadian Spirit. Hello and welcome to Canadian Spirit. I'm your host and paranormal investigator, Kelly, and you've found yourself listening to a show where we try to solve some of Canada's most famous and forgotten paranormal mysteries. A little bit of housekeeping before we start off the show here. The Canadian Spirit merch store has closed its doors. I've been operating through a certain provider and for a bit, and uh, honestly, I'm not too thrilled about the quality of stuff that I can get through them, so I've decided to shut that down and... Maybe in the future, if there's a call for merch again, I'll get on working up some designs for some new stuff. And uh, secondly, I'd like to thank everyone for a ton of support over the last couple of months. I haven't exactly been the best at getting episodes out on time due to my own hectic schedule and raising two kids, working two jobs, and whatnot. But our friends in the podcasting community and our fans have been really understanding about that. So from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say... Thank you to all of you. It means a lot to me. All right. With, uh, I suppose with that all out of the way, let's get on to our new Twitter follower shoutouts. First up is You Run Podcast. They run so far away. They just ran. They ran all night and day. They couldn't get away. Thanks for the fall. Spirit Diaries, a paranormal podcast featuring a husband and wife team who also happen to be a paranormal investigator and psychic medium. Do you suppose they have psychic smalls or psychic larges? Thanks for the follow, Spirit Diaries. Turd Ferguson. That's his handle. He's actually a uh, common-sense actualist of ufology and uh, hosts the excellent show Strange Recon, so if you like any of our UFO episodes, please go and listen to his show after you've listened to this one, of course. Uh, thanks for the follow. And there's uh, Naya Okami. Hey, do you remember that kid who was in that uh, viral video years ago who said, in all ways but physical, I am a wolf? Yeah, that's Naya. And I'm actually pretty delighted to have her on board because I've had a few short conversations with her and she is an absolute delight to speak with. Then we have Zelenia Life Crisis. Kid, you've only lived through two doomsdays. You haven't seen anything yet. Thanks for the follow. And uh, finally, we have the Supernatural Protection Company a comedy podcast about working for a company that provides insurance coverage for the paranormal. Maybe I should buy into one of their plans. Thanks for the follow, folks. And as for reviews, we have a new five-star review from J73227 of the Commute Podcast. He says, really good conversations here. Well done. Easy to subscribe. Thanks so much, Jay. That really means a lot to me. Also, listeners, go and check out the Commute Podcast and follow Jay on Twitter at Podcast Commute. I've also been hearing that we've been getting a lot of positive reviews on good pods, but, you know, because I don't have a smartphone, because I'm a goddamn troglodyte who lives in the fucking Stone Age, I can't view them. So uh, thank you to all of you on there who are reviewing the show through good pods. That also means a lot. I'm saying that a lot in this episode. Uh, With that out of the way, listener, grab your marshmallows, because now it's time to get this show underway with Kelly's Campfire Tale. Oh look, you're by the water again. Don't you ever learn? These aquatic adventures never end well for you. Fuck off, narrator, you mumble as you cast your line out into the depths of the lake. The day is beautiful. The water, calm and serene. The call of the majestic loon sounds in the distance. A beautiful evening like this is just what you need after a long week of work. 
you haven't caught a single thing all day. But that's fine with you. You're not necessarily out here to catch dinner, after all. The only thing you're looking to catch is a few hours of peace and quiet out on the lake. Your canoe rocks suddenly, causing you to drop your rod and cling to the side to prevent yourself from spilling into the water. What the hell was that, you ask yourself as your eyes dart around. Hmm, nothing. Must have been a freak wave. Do those happen on lakes? You wonder to yourself as you pick up your rod from the bottom of the canoe. As you straighten up again, you catch a flash of silvery blue disappearing into the water. You pause, wondering what could have possibly... Your canoe overturns, spilling you and all of its contents straight into the water. You surface, spluttering and coughing, as you look around to see what the hell just hit you. And that's when you see it. It's a hideous beast. A creature straight out of an old universal monster flick. Its wide, toothy mouth snaps open as it regards you with cold, black eyes. You open your mouth to scream, but in an instant, a webbed, clawed hand explodes from the water, gripping your face with impossible strength. Back down into the lake you go. I told you these adventures near the water don't add well for you. Canadian Spirit Chronology Today's cryptid case takes us to Vancouver Island off the coast of British Columbia's mainland. The specific area that we're looking at is the Thetis Lake National Park, an 834-hectare or 2,060-acre provincial park and nature sanctuary. In fact, the Thetis Lake National Park was Canada's first nature sanctuary when it was established back in 1958. This park is named after the British frigate of the HMS Thetis. Hmm, another frigate. That's two episodes in a row. Uh, since we're here, let's do some more nautical history, shall we? The HMS Thetis was a British frigate that was assigned to the region as part of the Royal Navy's Pacific Squadron. The reason that this ship got its name was from the Thetis in Greek mythology, which is either a water nymph or a goddess of water, depending on which literature you're looking at. And this particular ship, ship served in this region for some 45 years before it was decommissioned. But before that, this area was home to the Kwakwetl peoples, who were native to Vancouver Island. This First Nations group is really quite interesting, especially for the ornate masks that they carve for ceremonial and the theatrical purposes. But masks also play a part in their mythology as well. When I was looking up some fun facts about the Kwakwetl people... I stumbled across their website, which was rich with their lore, stories, culture, and recipes for ancient medicines. It's truly an incredible resource for learning about these peoples, but I won't go, to on, I won't go on too long about them. To demonstrate the uniqueness of their culture a little bit, I'll share with you one of their stories, uh, which uh, was an argument about their origins. Quote, the Kwakwetl chiefs were discussing the creation of their ancestors while waiting for the second course at a feast given by the chiefs of the Taxis. At first, no one spoke for a while. Then Malid spoke, saying, It is the sun, our chief, who created our ancestors of all our tribes. And when the others asked him how this was possible, for the sun never once made one man, the chief was silent. Others said, It is Mink, who gave us our first ancestors. 
Then spoke Great Inviter, saying, Listen, Quackweetle, and let me speak a really true word. I see it altogether mistaken for what others say, for it was the seagull who first became man by taking off his mask and turning into a man. This was the beginning of one of the groups of our tribe. And the others were caused when the sun, the grizzly bear, and thunderbird also took off their masks. It is the reason that th that we Quaquitl are many groups, for each group had its own original ancestors. The chief visiting from Nawi disagreed, and the Quaquitl of all four groups became angry. For the Nawi believed that the Transformer, or Creator, went about creating the first ancestors of all the tribes from when the people already existed. But the chiefs of the Quaquitl scoffed at this, saying, do not say that the Transformer was the creator of all the tribes. Indeed, he just came and did mischief to men, when he made them into Raccoon, and the Land Otter, and the Deer. For he only transformed them into animals. We of the Quaquitl know that our ancestors were the Seagull, the Sun, the Grizzly Bear, and the Thunderbird. End quote. Other fun facts about the Quaquitl are that they are the most famous for being the original creators of the totem pole, which depicts <clears throat> legends and historical events. They're also renowned for their use of elaborate masks and their very, very precisely choreographed dances. Some stories say that these ceremonial dances are so sacred that anyone who missed even a single step of these dances were immediately executed. And you thought your grade school dance teacher was tough on you. In any case, I promise that this will all tie into the topic later, dear listener. Because by now you're probably wanting me to get on with the goddamn monsters already, so let's begin. The day of August 19th, 1972, seemed like any normal hot sunny summer day on the island, and this inspired two teenage boys to spend the day at the lake. 16-year-old Robert Flewellen and 17-year-old Gordon Pike spent the day swimming around the lake and were sitting on the beach together when they noticed a churning and a swelling in the water not too far from shore. According to the RCMP report, Pike and Flewellen then saw a creature rise up out of the shallows. We'll quote from that now. Quote, The witnesses reported that what rose from the water was a creature, with a fish-like face and a wide toothy mouth, with horns sticking out of its head. According to the witnesses, the creature appeared human-like, but covered in blue-gray scales with webbed hands and feet that were tipped with large claws, end quote. Now, if you're trying to picture this in your head, the best way that I can paint a picture for you is imagine the gill man from the creature of the Black Lagoon with a series of horns on its head, or, you know, if you're a younger listener who's not uh, too into the universal, the universal monster universe. Uh, think of the fish man from the shape of water, but also with horns attached to its head. Basically, what we're looking at here is a type of reptilian type humanoid that by all accounts was roughly five feet tall. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe the lizard people Illuminati take vacations at the Theodos Lake? I don't know. But I'm getting myself off track. Let's get back to what was happening at the lake. Pike and Flewellen then reported that the creature turned around to face them. The two screamed in terror and began fleeing from the water, only to realize that this monster was now giving chase. What happens next isn't really clearly detailed in the report, but it is stated that Flewellen was injured with a nasty cut on his hand that he claimed was inflicted by the claws of the creature. The investigators said that the boys seemed shaken but sincere in their claims. 
As one RCMP constable told the Victoria province, quote, The boys seem sincere, and until we determine otherwise, we have no alternative but to continue our investigation. End quote. So, the Victoria RCMP had a monster case on their hands. They conducted interviews of people who lived in the area to see if anyone had noticed anything or anyone strange around the lake, as well as doing periodic surveillance of the area to make sure that it wasn't just some guy in a rubber suit causing mischief, as was the suspicion of some of the locals at the time. Others insisted that this was a hoax. But then, four days later, on October 23rd, two more boys called the RCMP to report another sighting. The call came from 12-year-old Michael Gold and 14-year-old Russell Van Nice. The boys claimed that they were out at the lake when they saw a bipedal reptilian creature rising up out of the depths. They said, quote, It was shaped like an ordinary body, like a human being body, with silver-blue scales, huge ears, and a horrifying face crowned by six sharp horns atop its head, end quote. However, this time, the monster did not react aggressively to the boys who were staring at it. Instead, Gold states, quote, It came out of the water and looked around. Then it went back into the water. Then we ran. End quote. Again, the RCMP took this sighting seriously and uh, were becoming concerned that the same creature had now been sighted again, and so they doubled down on their efforts to get to the bottom of this merman, gillman, aquatic chupacabra thing, and appealed to the public for any information regarding these sightings. Not many calls came in, but one that is reported was a call on August 26th of that year. A man called the station and claimed that he may have been the inadvertent cause of a local panic. You see, this mysterious caller admitted that while he was visiting the lake the previous summer, he lost his pet tegu lizard. Now, for those of you who don't know reptiles, tegus are large carnivorous lizards with a wide umbrella of subspecies. Some of them, however, can grow up to four and a half feet long. They have large, thick heads with uh, chubby-looking necks, and uh, which are home to fat deposits. When threatened, a tegu will stand up on its hind legs to appear taller and more threatening. And they're also very adept at swimming and spending a lot of time in water. Now, this seems like a slam dunk, right? Not really. You see, tegus are native to Latin America and have adapted to very warm environments. Being cold-blooded, they require a high ambient temperature in order to survive. While looking up information for caring for a tegu, it's noted that the minimum temperature of a tegu terrarium, a tegu-rarium? That was a terrible pun. Moving on. The point is that the, it should be a minimum of 23 degrees Celsius or 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Anything less can lead to lethargy, slowed pulse, labored breathing, or death if the temperature is low enough. Knowing this, I checked the National Weather Bureau for the average temperature year-round at Thetis Lake. I discovered that the average daily high throughout December, January, and February does not exceed even 10 degrees Celsius or 50 degrees Fahrenheit. This is way, way below the threshold for keeping a tegu alive. The RCMP noted this too after consulting with zoologists and ultimately disregarded the tegu theory, not just on this fact alone, but, but on the fact that this lizard isn't always bipedal, doesn't have a human-like body, and doesn't have horns. And, of course, the coloration was all wrong. For months afterward, the RCMP tried to solve this case, but with no further leads or sightings coming forth, they were forced to eventually close the investigation. 
That's when a reoccurring figure in Canadian cryptozoology stepped in. Enter Lauren Coleman. In the course of his research into the creature, Coleman unearthed an ancient story of the indigenous peoples that showed an eerie overlap to the creature that was reported terrorizing Thetis Lake. According to the stories of the Kwakwetl peoples, there exists a fish-like humanoid creature called the Pugui. These creatures are said to be roughly four feet tall with large ears, webbed hands and feet, bulbous eyes, and most interestingly, the wood carvings of these creatures depict them with a series of horns that grow into the tops of their heads. I dug a little bit into the Kwakwetl folklore, and the term Pugui roughly translates to man of the sea in most legends. The Pugui are malevolent creatures that lure human beings into bodies of water to either drown them or turn them into Pugui themselves. So, was Lauren Coleman right? Had an ancient indigenous water beast attacked Robert Flewellen and Gordon Pike? Was it a man in a suit? Or was it a genuine merman? We'll look more, we'll look into more right after this quick break. Hi, I'm Reed Schlops, founder and CEO of Babbel, and I'm so excited to be here today to introduce you to the next generation of my phone. The MyPhone 11 has a sharp, sleek, new design that looks exactly like the MyPhone 10, the MyPhone 8, the MyPhone 7, and so on. But what makes the iPhone 11 different is its Mark II giraffe-strength carbon nanofiber base with reinforced cock-a-doodle-doo glass screen which makes it the toughest smartphone ever created. But you're still going to buy a protective case, because if you drop this thing just one time, it'll shatter like an octogenarian's hip in the Canadian winter. The MyPhone 11 also has 29, count them, 29 cameras for capturing that selfie from every possible angle, as well as report your every single move to the NSA. You should be cool with that. You've got nothing to hide, right? Our new displays have over five times the pixels that other competitors have, which, I mean, could be a lie. Have you ever stopped to count individual pixels on your screen? Nobody does that, unless they're a masochist. The MyPhone 11 is also the most powerful smartphone that we've ever created, utilizing the power of a neuroprocessing silicon nanochip with carbonite transistors. And now that your eyes have glazed over, fuck you and give me your money already. Our new lithium-ion battery also lasts up to 50% longer, ensuring that your crippling addiction to social media will crush your soul and your will to live twice as fast as our competition. Power. Convenience. Synergy. Communication. That's the power of Babel. So let's leave the 1970s now and jump ahead almost half a century. Enter a new face, one Daniel Luxton. For those in the paranormal know, or even those who aren't, Luxton may not be a familiar name, so let's take a look at him for one second, shall we? Luxton is a Canadian writer, illustrator, and skeptic. He's written for publications like Skeptic Magazine, as well as Skeptic Inquirer, and he's even written his own book, Abominable Science which is a great skeptical look into the field of cryptozoology. This is what brought him to the area surrounding Thetis Lake almost half a century after the monster was first sighted. 
Buxton wanted to get to the bottom of what really went down here in 1972 and began his investigation. He wasn't satisfied with the lizard theory that the RCMP threw out, and he wasn't satisfied with the idea of the creature from the Black Lagoon dwelling in the depths of Thetis Lake terrorizing teenage boys. He scoured documents from that summer and took interest in one particular detail. Weeks prior to the sighting, the 1965 classic The Beach Girls and the Monster was playing at the local cinema. Let's listen to a short clip of that movie now. Mayonnaise? Mustard? And some pickle relish? And just a little bit of sand? Yeah, it's a weird fucking movie. Yes, I watched it, and you can watch it too. You can even find it on YouTube for free, where you too can watch a man in a what is clearly a rubber suit adorned with googly eyes murder a woman to a backing track of surfer rock. No, I'm not kidding. It happens uh, less than five minutes into the movie. Anyway, this cinematic abortion was playing a few days before the first sighting, which set up alarm bells in Lexton's head. It seemed all too coincidental, but he needed more evidence to back up his case. So Luxton did, honestly, what I would do. He tracked down whatever witnesses he could find that still lived in the area. He discovered that Russell Van Nice still lived nearby and went out to interview him about what he and Michael Gold saw that day. Russell would reveal to Luxton that their encounter was, quite simply, a lie, saying, quote, It was just a big lie. Michael Gold made it all up for attention. End quote. Russell went on to say that Gold was a habitual liar and was not at all above telling tall tales. It's likely that Gold was inspired by both the film that was playing that week and the reports of, from Flewellen and Pike in the previous days. But, you know, that's just my own conjecture. Flewellen and Pike were never reached for comment despite even my own attempts, because, uh, you know, I wasn't able to locate them. So normally we would go into what this creature could be, but I think that this case is actually pretty cut and dry, honestly. It was a hoax, inspired by this. It's not true. Why should I kill Tom? It was some kind of a monster. A crazy looking thing with a with a big fish head and some kind of a claw. Mark, wait a minute. A monster here on the beach? Look, he's all clawed up. Just like Bunny was. We'd better call the sheriff. Richard, you can't believe that I did it. I'll call the sheriff. Brad, watch things, will you? You bet I will. I can't believe I watched that whole fucking movie. Honest to God, it's, it's, it's like a train wreck. You can't look away. But it's just so... So awful. Anyway, let's hear from a sponsor. Hi, I'm Vince McNeil. Did you know that 50,000 women die every year due to domestic violence? That's sad. Somebody should do something about that. But if you consider buying a used car from McNeil's Used Car Emporium... 
Well, you probably have if you're not a fucking idiot. We have cars that rarely break down, but if they do, you can kiss my ass. I ain't running no goddamn charity shop. We also have a great deal on this 1994 Ford Falcon that was just set on fire last week. Only $4,000. We also accept trade-ins. Bring your cars, bring your vans, bring your wife. I'll fuck her in the back of a Chevrolet cargo van and then you can drive that thing off the lot for just $9,000. If you think that letting me fuck your bulldog of a wife is a way of getting a discount, you can shove that idea right up your fat ass. Hey, did you know that 16,000 dogs die every year because of illegal dog fighting? That's also sad, but fuck them dogs. You deserve a new used car that smells faintly of tacos and bong water. Come and check out our stoner special, a 2001 Toyota Full Runner, for only $11,000. Also, did you know that I once mutilated my penis in a terrible fly fishing accident in 1979? That's not important. What is important is bringing your stupid ass down to McNeil's used car emporium today, because these deals won't last. No, seriously, the feds are on to my many crimes and are about to conduct a raid here tomorrow. So I guess with no conjecture needed from the peanut gallery that is your humble podcast host, let's move into similar cases from around the world. Our first case comes from the state of Ohio, the Loveland Frogman. This four-foot-tall amphibious humanoid with leathery skin has been seen for more than half a century around the town of Loveland, Ohio. The first encounter took place in 1955 by a salesman named Robert Hanicut. He, was, he saw not one, but a multitude of frogmen who, in turn, noticed him. Hanneken fled the scene and reported it to authorities, sparking off a number of sightings that stretch all the way until 2016, including one particular case in 1972, when police officer Mark Matthews called in that he had saw an unidentified creature crouching by the road. So, Matthews shot it, and he took the body into the station, you know, like a psychopath. I wonder what that day at the station was like. Hey, fellas! Hey, fellas! I done killed the frogman! I'm a hero! Jesus fucking Christ, Matthews! What have you done? I'm a hero! You killed old man Jenkins! I killed the frogman! Look at his scale! Old man Jenkins had psoriasis, you dipshit! So... I'm not a hero? No, Matthews. You're under arrest. Of course, that's not how it actually happened. Matthews brought the corpse in of the creature he'd slain, and, uh, well, it turned out to be a large iguana. The most recent sightings was by a pair of teenagers who were playing Pokemon Go. The witness was quoted by local papers as saying, quote, we saw a huge frog near the water. Not in the game. This was an actual giant frog. I took a couple of photos in a video because I'd never seen one that big. Then the thing stood up and walked out on its hind legs. End quote. Then, of course, that all turned out to be a sight. That all turned out to be a hoax anyway, just like today's case. Next up, we have something that is only partially related, but it's badass as hell, so I had to include it, and it's the Sharuf of, of Chile. The Sharuf is a humanoid reptilian creature reported to live in volcanic environments. 
it's said that the Sharuf inhabit the magma pools found deep within Chilean volcanoes and are the source of earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. Sharuf are also said to be the source of magicians' ardent stones, meteorites, and volcanic stones that cause damage in volcanic regions. The only way to abate the Sharuf's appetite for destruction was to satiate the beast's taste for human flesh by throwing sacrificial victims into the bowels of a volcano, so that's fun. And finally, for this last um, creature, we're going to bring it back to Canada. And uh, we have this account from 1954 from Enoch Baptiste on the beaches of Lake Superior. Quote, Northeast of Lake Miniwanka is a mountain with a high, sharp peak shaped like a tower. From a long distance, you could see the snow on its top, but there is never any on its side. The mountain is so steep that snow does not stay on it, because spirits lived at the top of it. Natives called it Spirit Mountain. The nearby lake they called Miniwaka, which means water of the spirits, whenever they traveled in the neighborhood of the lake. They heard the voices of spirits as they passed by. They would see nothing <clears throat> that made the sounds, but they could still hear the sounds. One time when our people were camping near the lake, my father heard what seemed to be the beating of a drum. The noise seemed to be coming from the water. He could also hear voices down in the lake. Soon he noticed that the water was coming up to the shore. It came so close to the camp, and then it went back out again. Soon my father saw, near the center of the lake, a strange creature rise up out of the water. It was a half-fish and half-human being. It had blown the water toward the shore, and then it had come above the surface. As my father stood watching, the fish person sank back beneath the lake. Other people said they also saw the strange creature. They were so frightened that they broke camp and never camped there again. All natives stayed far away from the water, and... There was no fishing or canoeing in Lake Miniwaka until the white people came. Strange creatures in other lakes were sometimes killed by lightning, but I've never heard of this one being killed. End quote. Of course, there's a lot of lizard people sightings that I could have gone into, but then we'd be digging pretty deep into David Icke territory, and frankly, I'm not about that nonsense. So I think. That about wraps up this episode of Canadian Spirit, and I think that we learned this week that, well, lakes are safe, because the only webbed-handed frog, lizard, merman that exists, exists in the imagines, imaginations of teenage boys. Until next time, you know where you can reach us, you know where you can review us, share this podcast with a friend, or download it into some gigantic thumb drive and shove it into your enemy's asses. I don't give a shit. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. Um, also, too, with this episode being a much shorter episode, uh, pay attention to your feeds because I'm going to bring back something that hasn't been done in quite a while. Keep an eye out for Paranormal News ep or Edition number four. And then after that, Squishy will be joining me again as we cover some of the world's stupidest cryptids. And with that, I've been Kelly, and this has been Canadian Spirit. Good night, everybody. That's all for this episode. Special thanks to Torin for our music. Zach Black, that's me, for voice work. 
all of our sources we used for this episode, and you, our listeners. We'll see you in two weeks.